Hello, welcome to podcast number 40, brought to you from Help with Parkinson's. We have uh, our guest today is Dr. Supermanian, movement disorder specialist from Hershey Medical Center in Hershey, Pennsylvania. And he's brought a special guest, Dr. Maureen Leahy from Colorado. Dr. Soup, could you introduce Dr. Leahy? Yes. Uh, thank you, Warren. And uh, welcome, Maureen, to the podcast. I appreciate you being here. Um, thank Dr. you. Yeah, thank you. And Dr. Leahy, just to briefly introduce, she is a professor of neurology and the section chief uh, for the Division of Movement Disorders at the University of Colorado, uh, Denver, Colorado. Um, she has a very accomplished uh, uh, scientist as well as a clinician, has done some uh, really pioneering work, uh, especially on the topic that we're going to be talking about. I had the chance to hear uh, Maureen present her uh, recent work on the use of uh, marijuana and marijuana products in Parkinson's disease um, at the Parkinson's disease uh, symposium uh, that was held uh, just a couple of weeks ago. And she actually was, uh, her presentation was actually selected as one of the uh, key uh, presentations for this year's uh, symposium and was highlighted at the meeting. So I had a chance to listen to her work and I thought uh, the audience here would really benefit uh, from uh, this uh, piece of work. So Maureen, welcome, and uh, thank you for uh, agreeing to be uh, part of our podcast. Well, thank you. I'm happy to, to talk about um, the use of cannabis in Parkinson's. So um, could you start us by telling us a little bit about um, the experience in Colorado, which I believe is one of the first states that uh, had access to marijuana, marijuana products, um, and cannabis and cannabis products, um, both recreationally as well as medical use as well. Is that correct? Yes, that's right. Um, the uh, medical marijuana use has been around for a while, but it really took off with a lot of patients, my Parkinson's patients, using it after uh, it became recreationally available, which was in 2012 that the law passed, and then it took a couple of years for the government to figure out, oh my goodness, how to uh, how to actually implement this. And so it was in 2014 that the dispensary started opening, and that my patients started telling me that they were trying it. And um, I always thought it was kind of cute because uh, they would come in and they'd sort of uh, uh, be afraid to tell me about it, but then at the same time, they knew I'm, as their doctor they that I really should know. And uh, so they started telling me about their experiences with it. A lot of them had remembered taking it in college and had some fond memories, and so they expected it to be kind of like that. Um, one of my first patients uh, impressed me, though, with his story. Um, he had uh, gone down to the dispensary and they had um, given him a tour and everybody was very excited and so he bought two different strains of uh, plant material and he bought a pipe and um, so then he took it home and he decided that he would just sit down and relax and, and enjoy it at a time that he didn't have to do anything else so he sat down in front of the TV and turned on CNN and so then he took uh, um, four big puffs, and 
after about 30 seconds, he really wasn't feeling anything, and he remembered from college that he should be feeling something. So he started to take four more big puffs, and on the third puff, then Wolf Blitzer's head started coming out of the TV. (laughs) (laughs) (sighs) Yes. And uh, so then um, he started to feel kind of dizzy and kind of high, and, you know, he remembered it being a pleasant experience from college, but uh, now he's um, he's about 64 years old, and he really didn't uh, didn't ha- like that feeling. Um, and I, maybe it was just too much for him all at once because because um, it hit him so hard. But uh, he sat there. He ended up sitting there um, on the couch uh, for hours and hallucinating and. He tried to go to sleep, but he couldn't go to sleep, and he tried to uh, listen to some music or have something to eat, but he, um, the music sounded scratchy and the food was, uh, was nauseating, and so he really had a bad time. And, and, uh, and it, so it impressed me that while there might be some good things about it, there definitely could be some toxic things. Um, other patients have told me some uh, um, more positive, <laughs> much more positive uh, Stories, Doctor Lay. Yeah, go ahead. I have a question: Is was that a CBD or is it THC? Well, you know what? I asked him that, and that's the the thing is that a lot of times, um, at least at the beginning, when the products first came out, when the dispensaries opened, people really didn't know that much what they were taking, and they were taking a lot more THC, mm-hmm. and the concentration of THC. Um, became much, much more potent than what we would might remember from our college days. And so I, I suspect that he w- had a high THC product. Mm-hmm. So um, just to set the stage for your study and wanted to get some details of the study, uh, we here in Pennsylvania are in the early stages of just getting medical marijuana. So um, mm-hmm. we had a law passed just the last election cycle um, that allowed uh, legal uh, medical marijuana here. And there's a lot of interest that I get almost every week of, uh, you know, patients coming up to my clinic and asking, you know, can I use this? Can I use this? So um, in that context, again, uh, going back uh, to 2014, 2015, when you started working with uh, patients who were um, trying out this, um, can you share what motivated you to do the research study that you presented at a Parkinson's disease, uh, uh, Parkinson's study group uh, meeting. And can you go over how you went about designing that study? Sure. Um, So that patient told me that story and other patients told me their stories. And for example, another patient um, was a young onset uh, fellow. He got diagnosed when he was um, relatively young onset. Um, He got diagnosed uh, when he was about 48 and, and, uh, at about age 50, um, he would get on his bicycle to exercise, and his foot would he'd got, have dystonic posturing of his foot. It would turn in and cramp, mm-hmm. and that would really interfere with his exercise, and it would come on just like five minutes into him getting um, getting going. and And he found uh, that if he um, if he smoked a, a joint um, about 10 minutes before getting on the bike that he wouldn't have that turning in and he could get a really good workout. 
Hmm. Um, he would also feel a little euphoric and uh, unfocused, so he knew that he couldn't work and hmm. focus um, for the next uh, hour or, or two. But um, but he could get his exercise in that way. Um, so hurry, listening to these different stories, um, then uh, then um, the Colorado was having a lot of experience with. Uh, um, with uh, it in you know not not just in Parkinson's obviously and right. and so people um, a, a housewife uh, got an edible and she ate um, some of the cookie and mm. then she thought well I don't feel anything so she ate the rest of the cookie mm. and she ended up uh, hallucinating and getting psychotic and and um, either falling or jumping off of a balcony and mm. was killed. Oh wow! And yeah, and there's there's so there have been some deaths associated with accidents associated mm-hmm. with it, um, and uh, and so Colorado was very concerned. And there's a ton of money being made in Colorado by businesses, and also the government um, taxing. Right. And so the um, Colorado Department of Public Health and Environment put out a RFA. A request for um, proposals, basically uh, announcement to to study um, to do research on um, marijuana, and they wanted to know about how it was helpful and how it was not helpful or or toxic, and uh, they had a number of things they were interested in. But um, so I I was also concerned hearing the stories from my patients, and my patients kept asking me, as I'm sure you're experiencing, yeah. um, you know, how much should I take and um, what sh- what would this be good for me and et cetera right. and since we had really no hard information then uh, then I thought thought it was important to do the study so I uh, applied and the trick the whole big trick of um, or problem with doing research is trying to get the cannabis product right. here in Colorado there's lots and lots of businesses that have produced uh, very fine um, cannabis products, but I'm not allowed to use any of those. Um, I'm only, as a researcher, you have to get a Schedule One license, um, and then you have to get your product from uh, the uh, National Institutes of Drug Abuse, who and they contract with a um, another with a company, and they get a supply from that one specific company, and uh, so they. That happens to be a farm at the, at the University of Mississippi, associated with the University of Mississippi. And they've had that same one supplier for many years. Um, and so also if, uh, if there was a company that was studying um, a form of marijuana in a study, then so, such that the FDA had already approved that study, then, then the DEA would um, allow it. So I, I learned that the Department of Justice is over the DEA, and with the political climate that we have, uh, the um, uh, the DEA will not um, consider letting you uh, do any kind of um, research except if you are using the NIDA um, sanctioned product. But on the other hand, it, it does give you a standardized product when because yes. it's from the same form and it's coming through... Uh, authorized uh, agency and it's a controlled formulation. So you actually know what you're actually giving to the patient, correct? 
Yeah, that is so. That is exactly right. So I wanted to use a standardized form, and and the um, the application um, the study uh, requirement was that I use a um, you know a form that's reliable and through the DEA and through that's approved by the FDA and the DEA and um, the NIDA product or else a um, one that's already in an FDA regulated study. Right. And so t- tell us a little bit about um, what were the how do, how you went about doing the study. Well, how many patients were involved, and how did you work out the details? Yeah, yeah. yeah so I wanted to. Um, I thought about what I wanted to do, I, um, and from what I was hearing from the patients and what I know about Parkinson's and um, cannabis, then I was really leery of using THC. I wanted it to be a high CBD product. Because THC can increase um, hallucinations. It can cause, at least acutely, cognitive problems and Mm -hmm. balance problems, um, perception problems, um, and uh, anxiety, um, uh, paranoia. So I certainly wanted to not make my patients have um, those when they already are prone to that with having Parkinson's. So on the other hand, CBD, um, the literature suggests that it reduces anxiety, that it might help sleep, um, and uh, that maybe it helps tremor. Um, So then I, I was looking for a product that was high in CBD, but even if I had a even having a product that's high in CBD, then how would I know what dose to use? Um, So uh, there's uh, one uh, product that's high uh, in CBD and very low in THC that that was at the time being studied for epilepsy. And that is a commercial product that has since um, uh, been approved by the FDA for the use of epilepsy, and it's called Epidiolex. Right. And um, to this, this is for uh, it, the this is for a rare form of epilepsy, uh, like the Dravé syndrome, correct? Exactly. Yes, right. they got it only for that. They right. got approvals only for those rare forms, right. and um, and the doses that they were finding was helpful was between ten and twenty five milligrams per kilogram per day. Mm-hmm. So that in a person that is uh, 80 kilograms in an adult, that would be something like 15, 1600 milligrams a day right. um, if you did the 20, 25 milligrams per day. And um, so I wanted to make sure and use a, a, an amount that was effective and right. not miss the boat. But so I designed a dose escalation study. So they'd start on a low dose and gradually go up and right. we'd see how they felt on each dose and then we'd um, use the maximal dose that was tolerated and and test to see if it was effective. Right. And so first off, I would just do a open-label study. Um, mm-hmm. Everybody would get the drug, and we'd see if it was tolerated, and we'd see if there was a hint of it being helpful. And then after that, we would follow that up, uh, having decided on a dose um, with a randomized controlled study. Right. So these are patients... Uh, with uh, well-established Parkinson's disease who were in your practice primarily or all, all of um, Colorado who were invited to participate in this study? How, how did you go about enrolling people into the study? Yeah, we, have, we do have a large clinic at the University of Colorado, and I have several colleagues. So these patients ended up, some of them heard about the study and contacted us, and they weren't um, um, specifically uh, one of our patients, but uh, about 80% of them were our patients. We One of the criteria for the study is that they had to live in Colorado, 
um, because otherwise it's not legal to right. carry it across state lines. Also, so, uh, along those lines, were these people who had um, already experienced um, marijuana product in one way or the other, or mm -hmm. did you exclude people who had already tried something uh, previously? Yeah, great question. Um, well, so many of the, my patients of, of people in Parkinson, with Parkinson in Colorado are trying it. Right. Um, so what we did was we um, asked people to not take it uh, so that it was out of their system before they would start the study. Gotcha. And so we had to test them um, to make sure of that. And so most of them had either not tried it or had tried it but was, was – um, were fine to stop it for a month ahead of time. So if, I remember, had, so if I remember from your study, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but just okay. what I remember from, from the PSG presentation was that um, you had two groups. Uh, one group had um, high THC product exposure, and the other group was the, um, the cannabinoid or, or CBD uh, group. And you had two different um, sets of patients. Uh, is that how it panned out later once you, once you started? Well, actually, yeah. yeah. Actually, what, how it worked out is that this was the open-label study, and we used um, Epidiolex. And okay. so we, um, it was all high CBD, all of the okay. patients. Okay. And it was one, there were two groups because what happened is that we enrolled um, 15 patients, two dropped out um, before they took study drug, and... Um, and then during the course, so we had 13 patients that started study drug, and then two, three patients um, had side effects and dropped out. And okay. so 10 patients actually finished the study. Um, and uh, so we had um, all of them taking up to 25 milligrams per kilogram per day. And so it was averaged out that they were taking about um, uh, 1,400 milligrams of CBD a day. Wow. And yeah, and so um, if you would compare that to what people might get uh, from the dispensary or on a medical marijuana card, then usually that would be maybe a max of 200 milligrams a day. Mm. And uh, so this was way higher than you would be getting off, uh, you know, from the dispensaries. But we wanted to make sure and not miss the a CNS effect. Right. And um, so we the what we did was we divided just the analysis into um, we included all the patients that took any study drug in terms of tolerability and that was 13 patients and then the other and then of those 13 patients we just included the 10 patients that finished the drug to see if there was any signal of efficacy. Right so let me uh, just for the listeners summarize what you've said so far um, and then we'll go to the main results which which are just the exciting part of uh, the whole whole presentation so far from you, um, that um, in Colorado, you had a unique experience of being uh, in a population which had early exposure to uh, marijuana products. Um, and since uh, there was uh, uh, some negative experiences, including one death uh, that you knew about with patients uh, who had been experimenting with uh, different marijuana products, uh, the uh, state of Colorado wanted to do some research they asked for a research proposal, and you participated in this research proposal where you wanted to look at Parkinson's disease patients and see how well they did. And because of the restrictions on how to get the appropriate drugs to study uh, due to federal laws, you chose um, or had to use 
a product that had already been FDA approved. And the product was one of the cannabinoid uh, rich or CBD uh, rich uh, agent, which is uh, already approved for epilepsy. And um, you had to actually use a fairly high dose of this particular compound, almost fivefold more than what would be available from medical marijuana. And uh, that's what you ended up using on your Parkinson patients. And um, 10 patients actually completed the study that you um, are about to tell us the results. Is that sort of the summary? Yes, yes. I would just add that um, NIDA did not have, the National Institutes of Drug Abuse did not have a product that I could use because all of their products would have had too much THC in it. Gotcha. They're, they're trying to, do, but to provide more products now. Right. So Warren and I are very excited about this. So tell us what actually the, the results showed. What, what kind of things came out from this? Okay, sure. So um, the, in terms of the tolerability, that was our primary um, right. outcome. Yeah. And in terms of tolerability, then um, all, uh, well, all the patients had side effects. <laughs> yeah. And uh, diarrhea was quite common. About 80%, um, 85% had uh, diarrhea. And it mostly came on in the higher doses. And mm. I thought maybe it was related to the... Um, oil because this was a um, product in oil mm. and it was 100 milligrams of CBD per milliliter. So they were taking like 15 milliliters a day of oil, of sesame oil. Wow. And uh, so, um, so yeah, they had um, uh, some diarrhea. Uh, they generally rated it as mild, but it was uh, starting to get intolerable when they got up to 20 to 25 milligrams a day. Mm-hmm. Um, they also had a lot of fatigue and somnolence, mm-hmm. and um, they rated it generally as mild, uh, and it, they started having that on um, more like 200 to 400 milligrams a day. Um, but it was, it was mild, and nobody stopped because of that. Mm-hmm. Um, three patients that did stop, what they had was one of them had abdominal discomfort, mm-hmm. um, and she had a long history of some abdominal problems, mm-hmm. um, but this riled it up. And then another one got a, 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 a bad rash, an allergic rash, uh, and he had worked in a plant store, and so probably it was um, that. And then the third one got frank hepatitis, and... Uh, and a third of the patients had um, elevations of, in their liver um, enzymes. Mm. Um, only only this one patient had hepatitis and was symptomatic. Mm. Um, of all the patients that um, that were taking that had liver function changes, liver enzyme changes, then it uh, those mm. went away after they stopped the study drug at the end of the study, um, and mm. so um, they were. Um, uh, they they were we were concerned because it was a different type of pattern of liver changes that could be dangerous. But all of them did stabilize and go back mm-hmm. to normal. And then in terms of efficacy, um, you can't you say a whole lot when it's an open label study because you don't have a placebo control. But um, we did assessments of their motor status before they started and after. And they had improvement in their scores so that it looked like overall their motor symptoms were better. They mm-hmm. also um, uh, filled out assessments on a lot of different things. And the ones that turned out um, to be better was that they had better sleep at night. 
and they had less mm -hmm. agitation and irritability. Right. Interesting. So, so, so just to make sure, because there was a few times when the audio got cut off, so I just want to summarize what you just said and make sure that every listener got what you had to say. Um, there were a lot of side effects. 80% uh, of patients had diarrhea, and one thought was uh, perhaps the diarrhea was related to um, the oil that was used for the CBD. And the second uh, idea was that um, a third of the patient had liver enzyme uh, elevation, which was concerning because the pattern of liver enzyme was very um, uh, suggested a dangerous course, although only one patient actually developed hepatitis. All of these <clears throat> changes in the liver enzymes were reversible, and nobody had a um, very serious outcome because you were able to reverse it by stopping the, the medication. And then in terms of benefits, um, there was some benefit at the dose that you tried, um, particularly for sleep in the night. And then overall in the Parkinson's scores, there was some improvement. But um, the concern is that the side effect profile was, um, of, was not something that sounded quite acceptable um, before we start using this uh, in a larger scale. Is that sort of, yes. uh, is this sort of a summary of what you said? Yes, yes. Okay. Yes. I'm going to open for Warren to ask more questions as a, as a consumer, as a patient, as well as as a pharmacist. Warren, your thoughts and questions. Yeah, so, so the idea was you wanted to have as much uh, cannabinoid as possible. Is that right? CBD as possible? Yes, for the that test. was the idea. Yep, for the test. So, right, so basically this, this kind of agrees with what me and Dr. Soup did months ago, saying that it wasn't ready yet to really be on the market for people to try it because you're still figuring out the dose. Yes, right. Yeah. And so if it was any other drug, it wouldn't, it wouldn't be available. This is actually the opposite where the FDA approved it, where the state, state approved it, and now you're trying to come up with the right dosing that's safe and effective. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Right. Well, the, um, the yeah. government so, said that the government said okay. it was, uh, that it could be sold but, um, you know, the FDA has not approved it for any use. Right. And, and there are side effects. And uh, I guess ideally you'd want to have a CBD and a total placebo. Mm -hmm. yeah. as, as a, as a Is yes. that something that's coming in the future? Yeah. So it, it, there's, this, there's this idea that you need a little bit of THC mixed in with the CBD to make the CBD the most effective. Right. And um, so... Uh, so I, what we're doing now is a um, CBD to THC uh, product that's 30 to 1, and we're giving patients about 200 milligrams of CBD a day and about um, uh, 8 milligrams of THC a day. So that's, right. and that's divided into two doses, morning and night. And so with that dose, we're not seeing any liver problems. And um, mm -hmm. and it's a blinded study. Uh, half the patients are getting placebo, so that's where we hope we'll get more answers. Yeah. Have you have you seen that the theory that the uh, that it put, it it counteracts the uh, cannabinoid one receptor with the CBD? Um, yes. Yes. The CBD is supposed to limit the um, the uh, 
side effects or the adverse effects that people or the the effects that people get from THC. Um, and uh, we we don't want to understand very well exactly how CBD works uh, in the nervous system. Right. So, but that's eventually you're going to... So along those lines... Yes. Yes, go ahead. I'm sorry. So along those lines, uh, Maureen, so um, do you expect um, the current state of affairs, right? I mean, so we we are in a very uh, delicate situation where providers like you and I um, have to come up with um, very good answers for our uh, patients who come in and ask us, okay, can I try this and can I not try this? At the same time, we are faced with the barrage of social media and advertisements for uh, using CBD oil or marijuana products or all these other things, cannabinoids one way or the other. And then uh, last but not the least, we also um, have science, which is uh, double bind, placebo control, scrutinized medical uh, use of products, whether it's natural product or not. And um, we have to weigh in all three things and, and come up with a reasonable solution. So my question to you, as having done this for longer period than anybody else in, in the United States, what's your way in which you tackle a, a patient's question? What, what do you tell yeah. them? Yeah, I tell the patients, I find out, you know, what is it that you're trying to aim at? What's bothering you? And then I try to use conventional um, ways rather than uh, this. And I explain that cannabis is can easily be toxic and um, that it's also from one formulation to the next and even in the same formulation to batch to batch, then it's not reliable in its content. And so um, I don't recommend it. Uh, if they wanted to use hemp, which is, uh, which is less than 0.3% THC, then that's probably relatively harmless. Mm-hmm. But uh, I wouldn't want them to spend a bunch, mm-hmm. a bunch of money on it. And I would recommend that they wait for us to do the science. I had another question about uh, how did they come up with the list of diseases that, that supposedly uh-huh. are effective with that? It seems like it's more political than science. Yes, I think you're right. There is no data, really. Um, there is some uh, data to suggest that maybe it's helpful in multiple sclerosis spasms and that um, maybe it's helpful for pain. Um, and when I say it, uh, we don't know if it's the THC or the CBD or the combination. Um, but obviously, you know, getting high is not the best treatment for pain. Right. Uh, so, um so, you know, we know that it's helpful for uh, cachexia related to AIDS or um, cancer chemotherapy. Um, but, you know, those are special circumstances. That's really different from a person trying to live their life the best healthy way possible with Parkinson's. Right. And, and the ones for children's seizures, that's, that has some scientific fact, doesn't it? Yes, that's very well um, based. It's very thoroughly tested and it's those uh it's that particular product in that rare disease where it's uh, shown to be useful is that thc or cbd that is cbd that is um cbd with the tiniest tiniest trace of okay. thc okay so that you're still trying to figure out the receptors with the cbd i would i would assume yes yes okay um, 
Yes. So Maureen, so um, let me um, sort of um, take it to a summary conclusion because uh, we've, we've spent uh, quite some time talking about this. And I'd like to um, hear your closing thoughts on um, what would be the takeaway message for our patients and the listeners to this podcast. Uh, and and, and uh, the way I hear you saying it is that, yes, there may be some promise with CBD oil and CBD-like products uh, in the future, but uh, neither the currently available formulations of marijuana or, for that matter, uh, any other product that's commercially available uh, that people can go and buy uh, is quite unreliable and that uh, there are risks and some of the risks are serious and one should seriously consider not using these products until we have better science. Is that sort of the takeaway message or do you have more to say about this? No, that is the takeaway message. I would say that there are some products that have been on the market um, for a while. Uh, I'm sorry, there's some products that are have been in our dispensaries in Colorado longer, and so I have some trust in them, but um, but we don't know if they work, and they're expensive. And um, so I don't like to have patients uh, spend too much money on it when we don't know it works. Hmm. Okay, so what, what's your opinion if we get questions on our website saying, what should, what, what should I do, what, what would you suggest? I would suggest that um, probably it's best to look for a hemp product and um, that, uh, that um, make sure you don't take more than five um, milligrams of THC in any one serving by mouth. And also um, with the, with the uh, products that are cannabis, be sure and try and get a ratio of CBD that's much higher to uh, THC. And that if you're looking for it to help something, what it might help is pain, anxiety, and sleep. Good. And, and I saw in my research that there's a test now that you could tell the blood, blood level in nanograms. Yeah. Is that, is that yeah. accurate? Yes. Yes, we are doing that as part of our research. Um, and uh, the police would be happy to do that if they catch you driving. Um, but otherwise, it's mostly a uh, research test. Okay, so n- not nothing that you should use to guide whether you should be driving after. Right after after you take it. Right. You, you suggest you suggest you how much time would you suggest if somebody does try this to to not drive? Uh, if it's um, smoking uh, THC or vaping, then at about six hours ish um, or longer. And if it's uh, an edible, that can last all day. Okay, good. Okay, so uh, thank you again, Maureen, for uh, making the time and uh, coming to our uh, podcast and listening to us. Warren, you want to make some closing remarks before we sign off here? Yeah, thank, thank you, Dr. Lay. And uh, this is information that we need because, like Dr. Soup said, it's brand new in Pennsylvania. And there's not many people, they all know that it's just marijuana. They're not sure about cannabinoid or 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 what. So uh, hopefully, but people listen to this podcast will use it and they save themselves some trouble. Yeah, it's a whole new um, vocabulary, and I hope that that I could be helpful. All right. Thank you. Sure. Thank you. Sure.